We are looking at 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 1 Samuel chapter 6 and one verse of 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 7 today. Normally we take a chapter, but sometimes the chapters with how they're broken up, they really just flow into the next. And sometimes some chapters are longer than others. And maybe it's worth even just talking about chapters and how they're divided and what's the value in them. First, they're very helpful to have chapters. Can you imagine trying to find a spot in Scripture without a chapter to turn to? And then on top of that, without verses. It would make it very helpful to pinpoint places in Scripture. But these chapters and verses, too, were not originally part of Scripture. These have been added later to be that beneficial pointing places. Um, the chapters came in the 13th century, the 1200s. Archbishop Stephen Langton is the one who is primarily responsible for the chapters of which we have today. It's not exactly as he had put it then, but it most resembles what he did. And so you see that's actually quite... I'd say a modern thing to have the chapters. Now, I guess 1200 still seems like a long time away. But when you consider that scripture was being written about, about 1500 BC, that's when we would have had Genesis through Deuteronomy. And that as we're looking here at 1 Samuel, it's likely this is written during the time of the monarchy. So about 1,000, you're talking over 2,000 years later. We're actually closer to the chapter marks than what we have here. And so chapter 5 is actually quite short with how it divides up. There's only 12 verses. And we look at chapter 5 and we're going to see what happens now when the Philistines take the ark. That's where we saw last that in chapter 4, they captured the ark. Eli's sons died in battle. Eli, excuse me when he heard that the ark was captured. He fell backwards, broke his neck, and died. When Eli's daughter-in-law heard all that had happened, she went into premature labor and gave birth to a son, but she died in that. And because the ark was captured, said, we'll name him Ichabod, the glory has departed. The glory of the Lord has left. And so the Ark of the Covenant is in the hands of the Philistines. That's what we're going to see in chapter 5. And we're going to see what God does to the Philistines. Chapter 6 is going to be how the Philistines respond to the Lord's response to them. i got to slide a bit over. Christmas tree is in the way here. We're going to shift over to this side. 1 Samuel chapter 5. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the Ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord His head and hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who enter Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. So they take the Ark of the Covenant and what do they do with it? They take it into their temple of their God. Almost as if, okay, we've captured this other God And so now he is going to submit to our God. And for the Philistines, you have to try to think. Just before this, they had been fearful and trembling. We heard that this Ark of the Covenant has come, that this God of Israel, the God who brought the plagues upon the Egyptians, has brought, seemed like, okay, oh no, everything's going to go wrong. But all of a sudden, everything's going right. We completely subdue the Israelites. We capture this Ark. They have no power over us. Everything's falling into place. And then how quickly it's going to turn. How quickly it's going to turn. And maybe you can think of times in your life when it seems like everything's falling into place. 
Things are going in the right direction. Maybe even unexpectedly, all of a sudden there, and all of a sudden things turn. Things turn. Or maybe you can think of on the other side, when it seems like those who are against you, those who are causing problems, they're the ones who have the success. Lift it up. Two lessons I think we can learn from that as we look through here, and they all come back to the same thing. First lesson, okay, if everything's falling into place and all of a sudden it just falls apart, remember that it was not our power and not our control. That we don't look to our own hands for what we've accomplished. To rely on ourselves. That if we see those causing problems in this world, the enemies of God, Satan seeming to have the victories, around us, and seeing that success, well, remember how quickly it can be turned because he's not in control either. And that's where it comes back, who reigns? God. And every eye will see him. Every knee will bow down to him. And the Lord shows that. The Lord shows that as now the Philistines bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple of Dagon, Dagon was the primary idol, primary god of the Philistines. Um, Not necessarily original to them. The Philistines, remember, were probably a mix of a lot of different people, a mix of Canaanite, along with maybe some others in the Mediterranean. And same thing with this god then. This has Canaanite roots. Um, Dagon, from the word Dag, it's come potentially from the word fish. And so sometimes you see maybe it's represented as a fish god. Also, dagging could mean grain. And so perhaps it's, you know, just simply the prosperity of the land. You see a number of different representations through archaeology that sometimes it's always hard to tell which god is this, and they all sometimes look similar. But dagging may be fish, maybe, maybe grain, Either way, what happens to him that here this God, which really is not a God, which is really just a statue, an inanimate object. When they come in the next day, Dagon's fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. It's not just that, okay, he accidentally tipped over. No, he is there directly in reference to the Ark of the Lord, bowing down to the God of the covenant. And so what did the Philistines do? Well, you better pick Dagon back up. We can't have our God looking like this. Must have been an accident. Something must have bumped him. But the following morning, there he is again. Not just bowing down, but with his hands, his head broken off, rendered powerless, dismembered. God has given a very visual testimony that he is God here. That this idol is nothing before him. That the Philistines should be bowing down before God. And their response, it's not one of, oh, well, maybe we should worship the Lord because after all, our statue that we worship is worshiping the Lord. No, the response is that to this day, to the day that this was being written here during the monarchy, the priests of Dagon, nor any others who entered at the Ashton, they wouldn't enter at this step of the threshold. So essentially, because their God was on the ground, they would never want to be in a place that they would have been higher to where he was. They'd want, they wanted to bow down, lay prostrate before, and so, well, we can't use this step anymore because our God laid down here. So now we'll just come in a different way. It was almost as if we would be doing some wrong to our idle if we would now come in this way 
never mind the fact of the message that's being right before our eyes. Questions or comments here? Verse 6, the Lord continues to show that he reigns, that he is God. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod in its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy on us and on Dagon, our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? Message received. Message received. Um, if it wasn't enough to see your idol bowing down, okay, all of a sudden now when illness comes, when it comes to us personally in our lives, inflicting us, tumors, um, the word here is essentially swelling. What kind of illness is being inflicted by God here? Um, perhaps it's something like the bubonic plague, um, swelling in the lymph nodes, swelling in the groin area, these things that would have been very visual, that noticed it would have been something they would have physically felt. Um, that's probably most likely, but some sort of swelling of some degree in a general sense. Something that really did lead to death, brought devastation. It's not simply a mild discomfort. No, God's hand, the Lord's hand, was heavy on the people of Ashdod. And so they come to the conclusion that, all right, his hand is heavy on us and on Dagon, our God. Okay, the Lord is inflicting upon this upon us. So what do we do? What should we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, have the ark of the God of Israel moved to Gath. So they moved the ark of the God of Israel. But after they moved it, the Lord's hand was against that city, throwing it into a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outbreak of tumors. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. So the solution is, okay, the Lord's hand is heavy upon us here and heavy upon our God. Let's send him to one of our other cities. There's no temple of Dagon there. I think we'll be okay. We'll be okay. Is this must be some sort of spiritual conflict here between the God of Israel and the God of Dagon. If we just get them away from each other, we'll be all right. Well, the same thing happens. The Lord's hand continues to be heavy on them continues to inflict punishment. And after it happens again in Gath, well, let's just send it to the next town. Get it out of here. There's this panic that comes with the tumors because, all right, death is all around. Death brings panic. I think we understand that. I think we understand that. Especially when it's widespread. Especially when it doesn't seem like we can control it in any way. As the ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought the ark of the God of Israel around to us to kill us and our people. They've been paying attention. <laughs> they know what this is going to mean. Verse 11, so they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and said, send the ark of the God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place or it will kill us and our people. For death had filled the city with panic. God's hand was heavy on it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. The death still comes to Akron. Lord's hand still heavy on it, inflicting death, inflicting the tumors. The people are crying out. God hears the cries. They go up to heaven. They're not cries in faith. They're not cries in, Lord, deliver us. But he hears them deeply wailing. Deeply wailing because of the judgment of them rejecting him as God. 
they thought that that was a victory they had had over Israel, over the God of Israel when they captured that ark. And he is showing them very clearly, no, you don't reign. You are not in control. Look how powerless you are. And in your powerlessness, as you reject me, judgment comes. You are misusing what I gave to my people. Yes, I allowed you to take it. That was my judgment against Israel for their rejection. But just because God uses one group of people or one person as an instrument of judgment doesn't mean that they are immune from God's judgment either then. You see that time and time again with the nation of Israel as God raises up other nations to carry out his judgment on his people, well, he brings the judgment on those nations too. No one escapes from the hand of God. Questions or comments here? So this is the end of chapter 5. And that's why we're going to continue into chapter 6 now because, all right, they're crying up. They say, send it back. Well, let's look how they send it back. Have they learned the lesson that God has been showing them? Has, that God has been specifically giving them in their lives about who he is? First Samuel chapter 6. When the ark of the Lord had been in, the, in Philistine territory seven months, Seven months. They held on to this for seven months? Can you believe that? Seven months that these tumors are inflicting. Seven months of passing the ark. Hot potato. Did it, why did it take so long? It wasn't a problem of them realizing necessarily where the problem is. Or is it? Were they not really ready to admit that this was because they were not worshiping God, that this was because the Lord had brought this. Let's take a closer look here. When the ark of the Lord had been in the Philistine territory seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. So here they're still asking that question, what should we do with this? I thought we had already decided that um, we're going to send it back. Well, maybe it was one of those things, well, kind of the casual comments of conversing, okay, we should send it back, but then no real consensus and no real action afterwards. A lot of talk, but then a lot of, not a lot of decisive decision. So they go to their spiritual leaders, the ones who would seem to have knowledge Closer connection to God. In verse 3, they answered, If you return the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it back to him without a gift. By all means, send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed, and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. If you return it? If you return it. Okay. Still leaving that possibility that, well, maybe you don't need to return it. But if you're going to, send it with a gift, with a guilt offering. Here's one of the spots, again, I think we recognize how much they do know about the Israelites. The fact that you're going to mention you send a guilt offering. A guilt offering shows their awareness to what God had commanded the Israelites of kind of offerings that they were to bring when they had committed sin. This is the offering that Israelites would have brought to God for their wrongdoing. Said, bring, send a, give, a guilt offering, and then you'll be healed and know why his hand has not been lifted from you. Verse 4, the Philistines asked, what guilt offering should we send to him? Here we see something obviously very different than what God had commanded the Israelites to give which really doesn't surprise us. I mean, they were not God's people. They were not following God. They were not worshiping him. And so the fact that they would offer something else really isn't that earth-shattering. They replied, five gold tumors and five gold rats. 
according to the number of the Philistine rulers, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers. Make models of the tumors and of the rats that are destroying the country and give glory to Israel's God. Perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did? When Israel's God dealt harshly with them, did they not send the Israelites out so they could go on their way? Once again, another connection. Okay, we'd seen this before when the Israelites had brought the Ark of the Covenant into their battle camp and the Philistines heard about it. They were afraid because this is, okay, this is the God who sent the plagues. This is the God who delivered them out of Egypt. Here, a reference to that again, that the Egyptians who had hardened their hearts, it wasn't just only the plagues. Clearly, that message of what Pharaoh had done too had been passed along that it was because of rejection of God that God's hand was heavy upon Egypt. He dealt harshly with them. And the response was, you sent them on their way. That's how you got rid of the problem. Well, what should we send them with? Five gold tumors and five gold rats. So we're going to make, our offering, we're going to make these golden figures and we're going to resemble first off as the disease that we have these tumors what about the rats we hadn't read anything about rats up to this point had we any guesses why they would have made golden statues of rats to send along Yeah, the thought they were contributing to the disease spread. Anything else to add? Spread of the disease. And that's probably it. You know, you're thinking too, if, okay, if this is similar to like what we see in history, the bubonic plague, um, it was spread by animals. Rats would have spread disease. It's, you know, something too, always being careful of, okay, what diseases do animals have with them? And to, okay, avoid that kind of contact with them the wild animals in that way. It keeps you healthy, avoiding the spread of disease. <clears throat> and so that's probably likely the case. No direct word that God specifically sent rats, but here we see an indication, okay, that may have been the instrument that God used to bring it. Even with the instrument, even if God used rats, they still recognized to an extent that this wasn't just a coincidence. At least they were open to the possibility it wasn't a coincidence. You see that they are very much aware that there is the hand of God in their life. I don't know if we'd use the word commending them for this because, okay, they were very superstitious. And it wasn't just, okay, the true God's hand. It was all the different gods and how they're interacting. But I think once a good takeaway for us, too, again, I think we've mentioned this before, to recognize that as we see things in our life, whether it is illness or whether anything else, God's hand is at work. Now, that's not to say that we can pinpoint and say, all right, God has sent this because of this. Well, he doesn't reveal that to us. But let's not just forget about God being active in our lives. That's what we're seeing here in these chapters. God is in control. He is ruling. Look closely at these words again, okay, as they make the, make the models of them. He says, perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. Perhaps this will happen. Maybe it will happen. I guess one way you could say is, well, how could they know for sure? It's, you know, as we pray often, you know, Lord willing. When it's things that God has not directly promised to us, when it's not gifts that God has directly revealed, yes, this is his will for us. 
we'd say Lord willing so, willing, so perhaps it will be this, or perhaps God will give something different that is his will. That's not really, though, what's going on here, the Philistines, because they aren't trusting in the Lord. It's perhaps that he will lift it because perhaps he was the cause of it. Or perhaps not. And we're going to see by their way of sending the ark back, they're showing that really it was not a complete recognition that the Lord had sent this plague upon them. Their hearts really were doing the very thing they said, don't do. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh do? Why do you refuse to acknowledge the Lord to, to submit to his power? Well, these, they're doing that by even saying perhaps. By saying perhaps this is his power doing it. Why do you harden your heart? They're hardening it and saying maybe this is from God but maybe it's just happened. Maybe it's just completely coincidence. Here's how we're going to send this ark back. Verse 7. Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart. And in a chest beside it, put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory toward Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us, but that it happened to us by chance. It's not enough for them to simply say, well, let's get rid of this ark. No, we got to put a little test here to find this out. And the test is that we're putting on this ark on a cart with cows that are going to take it. And focus on the descriptions of these cows that they have calved and they have never been yoked. They have calved and they've never been yoked and you're going to hitch these cows that have never been yoked and then you're going to take their calves away and pen them up. I can't say that my personal experience is one that has had a lot of interaction with cattle. But maybe yours has. What do you think, what would a cow normally do in this situation? Look for her calves. Look for her calves. Yes. Look for her calves. The cow that you've taken her calves away is going to look for her calves. Okay, that was the one part of the description. What about a cow that's never been yoked before? What would you expect from a cow that's never been yoked, that's never been hitched before? Okay, she's going to go on her own way. She's not going to follow a guy. And maybe even to add to this here as we look at this, with how their carts have been set up, there's no, there's no driver. They're literally just putting the cow there, hitched it, and they're stepping back. <laughs> away. What's this cow going to do? Every reasonable expectation from experience would say that cow is going to go somewhere. The cow may go nowhere if it's just going to make just stand there, do nothing. But then it's throwing the issue of the calves. That cow is going to look for the calves. And you've penned them up back in your town, back away the opposite direction of what you say the cow should go. And so then to say, well, if it goes up to its own territory toward Beth Shemesh, if the ark goes in the direction back where it's from with these cows that don't belong there, that know their calves are somewhere else, well, then it's from the Lord. They set up the situation challenging God and saying, if this really is your doing, if you really brought this plague, well, then you can make this ark go back. 
we somehow captured it, but if it really is yours, you will make it go back. Really asking God, prove it to us. Do a miracle here. But if the miracle does not happen, if we aren't wowed by everything contrary to what normal expectation would be, well, then it must just be a coincidence. Only a miracle will prove it to us that you are the Lord. Verse 10. So they did this. They took two such cows and hitched them to the cart and penned up their calves. They placed the ark of the Lord on the cart and along with it, the chest containing the gold rats and the models of the tumors. Then the cows went straight up toward Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowing all the way. They did not turn to the right or to the left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. So not leading them in front or on the sides. They're standing behind. They're going to watch. And what happens? They don't turn off once to the right or to the left. Not even any action to find those calves again. God plays along. They challenged God and said, Prove it to us. And God does it. God sometimes plays along with the requests, with the demands. Of you. Did, they, did God have any reason why he had to do this for them? No. There's no reason that God would have said, well, okay, I'm going to operate on your terms now. Because that's really what it is. God does not have to operate on any of our terms ever. But why would he do this? Why would he go along with what they basically said, well, this is how it must be? Well, maybe two things we can think about with this. First, sometimes God in his mercy, by his grace, answers our requests not because he has to, but simply to show us and knows that that would give a clear message. Not because we have the right to demand it, but he gives exactly what we ask. How bold it is, how defiant it is from the Philistines to say this is what God must do if he really did send these. And God in his mercy I'll do it. And you know what? Here's clear proclamation. Now you are without even more excuse that I am the Lord. God makes himself known. The other thing we can see here is this. Where is the Ark of the Covenant going? It's going back to Israel. Sometimes God does things that it wouldn't seem like he has to do because he's also using them to bring other blessings to his people. Now, could God have certainly brought the Ark of the Covenant back in another way? Oh, yes, absolutely. But by doing it this way, he has given clear testimony of listens. I am the Lord. By doing it this way, all of a sudden, what's going to happen? Can you picture the sight on the other side? of the border of Beth Shemesh. So from one side, you've got these Philistines who are watching this cart going and just waiting to see, well, is it, is it going to keep going? It, it hasn't turned yet. What's going on? But can you imagine the sight from the other side? As you see this cart with cows pulling the Ark of the Covenant and you can see off in the distance a gathering of Philistines just back there watching. Questions or comments here? Maybe sometimes that's just the grace of God that he lets us see things. And that's how we operate so that we get another picture. 
Verse 13, we get this picture shown to us a little bit more. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua at Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on the large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. The five rulers of the Philistines saw all this and then returned that same day to Ekron. And so from the other side, here it comes. The Philistines aren't bringing this back. It's coming back on its own. The Lord is bringing his ark back to us. And so it is the Lord whom we worship and we praise when it arrives. We give our glory to him. It's because we were not worshiping him that we lost it. Because we were not following him. The Lord is good and kind. Even in our rebellion, even times we turn away, he remains faithful. Remains faithful to us and continues to shower blessings that we don't deserve. The things that, you know, by our sins, consequences, we lost this. We, the time has escaped us. Wish we could have used it in a better way. And then the Lord blesses in other ways. He gives different time, different opportunities. He brings his ark back, continues to dwell with his people. They chop up the wood from the cart, sacrifice the cows. You know, what a wonderful display of worship here. Remember, once again, we're at a time when Israel did what they saw as fit. Here we see acts of faith. Not, oh, well, we've got two cows. Well, these would be pretty practical for us. I could use a cow. You want a cow? No. These are going to the Lord. He's the one who gives. He's the one who's given the ark back to us. We chop up a cart. Well, it was a perfectly good cart. Why would you give that away? You could have used that. No. It goes to the Lord. Wood for the offering. Cows as a burnt offering. Burnt offering, one, an offering of complete dedication. Completely giving yourself to God. And they're doing that, showing that with the very things that are coming. They take the gold objects. They place them on a large rock. We've got this really spontaneous altar that's been put here now, this large rock, and the gold. I'm sure all of them would have benefited from a nice big Christmas bonus. But no, this goes to God. This goes to God. The lesson that God has taught them with losing the ark did drive them to the repentance he was pointing them at. And so they offer those sacrifices, and who sees it all? Who sees it all? God here gives further testimony to the Philistines. More than just, okay, your cows went the way you said they had to for me to have sent the plague. But look how my people respond. After I do this, after I bring it, they worship me. They worship me. Please. Good. In the comment there that the Lord is giving the Philistines a chance to see what's going on, to see him, to repent and turn to him. That their idol wasn't doing anything, but no, it's the Lord. And I think here we see very clearly the God of the Old Testament is a God for all people. Yes, Israel is his chosen nation, But look what he's doing here. He is making himself known, showing himself to be the true God, undeniable evidence of it. Even as he brings judgment, he brings the judgment there to show them his power that they may turn to him. God's judgment is not simply, all right, his act of finality 
that, all right, this is the end. And the line, no, certainly it does as he brings death and people's times of grace. But through acts of judgment, God makes himself known and so that people do pause and see, oh, he is the Lord. He is God. Turn to him. Other questions or comments? Please. Good question. So, with the Ark of the Covenant, um, God had said that if you touch the Ark, you will die. And this is going to come into play in the next few verses, but let's look at a verse here from Numbers with that. Numbers chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4, um, in this section of Numbers, God is giving specific direction to the different groups of Levites. Remember, the Levites are the ones who serve him in his temple. Um, from the family of Aaron, that's where the high priest came. And so from the broader family that Aaron's from, that was the family of priests. But then the other two families, Levites divided into three groups. The other, they still served in the temple in other ways. And one of the ways that one of these families, the family of Kohath, served was that they were to be carrying all the holy objects, that they were the ones to be handling them. Now, there were specific instructions for how they handled them. And so here in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, God says, but they must not touch the holy things or they will die. God gives that specific command that if you touch the holy things, you will die. And so what happened here, as far as their normal handling of the ark, as they were traveling the wilderness, the Aaron and the priest, they would cover the ark before it would move. They cover it with the curtains, and the ark is on poles. The ark is on poles. And these Levites would carry the ark on these poles so they would not actually touch the ark in that way. Now, but that brings in this question, okay, how do we have the ark moving from place to place when people have died? Scripture doesn't tell us here where the Philistines moving the ark around. I mean, they would have to in some way have gotten it onto this cart. They would have to in some way move it from city to city, gotten it first back from Israel. Did people die in the process? They may have. They may have. At the same time, somehow they got it on there. Um, it could be that simply, you know, God withheld his hand at that point because this was going to serve his purpose. And so God sometimes does that, that he withholds judgment for his purpose. That could be a case here. Scripture does not speak directly to that, so we cannot say for certain how it was. What we do know is God did allow them to take it. And God using as they move to bring his judgment to show him as the Lord and then does allow it to get back on the ark and come here. When it comes here now, they say they chop up the wood. It's likely here that you would expect that maybe a Levite came and moved on the poles. In fact, we're going to see the Levites interacting with it now in just a bit. And so while it's not mentioned here, that's probably we would say with the indication we saw that as it went out to battle, that it was not just, okay, they brought it out. No, they had the right people carrying it. Now, they didn't have the right reason, they didn't have the right command to carry it, but the right people were carrying it. Any other questions? Verse 17. These are the gold tumors the Philistines sent as a guilt offering to the Lord. One each for Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. And the number of the gold rats was according to the number of Philistine towns belonging to the five rulers, the fortified towns with their country villages. The large rock on which the Levites set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. So there we do have the reference. All right, the Levites did pick it up and set it. Didn't come in the verses before, but showing, okay, this was done properly. This worship that's being done as they received the ark they are following God's ways. Emphasize here as far as the number. And it's simply showing here that, okay, these are the main cities of Philistines. Philistines had five big cities that they operated. 
it was a complete plague against them. It wasn't just, okay, it affected this one town or the three that we had mentioned. No, it hurt all the Philistines. God brought his judgment to them all. Not just their fortified town, but their country villages too. And so they all were trying to send a offering back to appease the Lord. All of a sudden, it seems that things are falling in place now for Israel. That we're back on a high note, we've had it low, and now we're okay. God has brought the ark back. Only by his grace, only by his doing, not because of Israel did anything. And so now it's back, and we're worshiping the Lord. But we do see something else that happens now when this ark has arrived. Verse 19. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? So what happens? Levites properly carried it but they did not properly avoid looking into it. And that comes to again in Numbers chapter 4 again. So a few verses later, God had given this command that said, But the Kohathites must not go in to look at the holy things even for a moment or they will die. Even as God gives his grace in bringing out the ark, that doesn't mean now we can forget about his commands. It's almost a, you know, a misuse here in that obviously they looked in and God brought a heavy blow. His heavy hand was upon them. It's an abuse of the kindness of God that, okay, you know, he's blessed us in ways we don't deserve, And so then now to say, oh, well, you know, maybe we can have this additional kind of blessing here that God didn't give me, that God did not say I could have. To take God's blessings and then take them further than the ways God planned to bless us with. That's sin here as well. And once again, the Lord is showing he is the holy God. He's the holy God There are no excuses, no exceptions now. Okay, just because he brought his ark back, just because he has showered with blessing, that now we can ignore his commands. The Lord shows himself to rule over all. He shows himself that those who oppose him, he brings judgment, no matter who they are. No matter who they are. Here was a very bittersweet moment for Israel. The ark is back. God has brought it back. But with God, he is still just. He is still holy. And so as we worship the Lord, we we do that not just with offering the sacrifices, with coming to his house, with singing his praise. No, we do it by keeping his commands. In that way, we regard him as holy. In that way, we, res- we serve him. So now what to do with the ark? Bittersweet here is it's brought to the death of 70 people. Verse 21, Then they sent messengers to the people of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your town. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord, They brought it to Abinadad's house on the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. Where's the ark going now? Well, can you remember back where the ark came from? We just brought it back from the Philistines as it kind of traveled around town to town. But before that, the ark was in Shiloh. Well, why didn't they take it back to Shiloh? That's where the tabernacle was. Why didn't they take it back to Shiloh? Nothing said here in this section. And maybe for the initial readers, it was so apparent, they just knew why that was the case. 
we see some other indications about Shiloh in Jeremiah and the Psalms. Jeremiah 7:12 says, "Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel." Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your fathers. What seems to have happened to Shiloh? It's not there anymore. It's not there anymore. The prophet Jeremiah is now going to be tasked by God to go and prophesy to Israel later and say, this is what's going to happen to the temple. Psalm 78 Psalm 78, verses 60 and 61. He abandoned the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had set up among men. He sent the ark of his might into captivity, his splendor into the hands of his enemy. God gave the ark away, and it wasn't just the ark they lost. Well, it was, you know, worship at Shiloh, the tabernacle there. Two, now it does not seem like the whole tabernacle was necessarily destroyed, that every single aspect of public worship was gone, but there's no Shiloh to go back to. And so they go and take this to Kiriath-Jerim. They take, from Kiriath-Jerim, they take it up to Abinadad's house, Eliezer. The ark is not going to return to a set spot for another 70 years. Until David brings it back. We get that in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we also see an unfortunate event that happens with the movement of the ark. Another reminder through another death that we worship the Lord by following his commands. Both times we have this ark being moved, pretty much every time we have the ark being moved without God's command, things being done. Well, what's the result of sin? The wages of sin is death. Yet God remains gracious. Even in his judgment, he still pours out his love and he's going to continue to do that through his called prophet Samuel leading his people. That's where we end today. We'll look at 1 Samuel chapter 7 with Samuel next time. Any last questions or comments? Let us close with prayer. Almighty Lord, you are holy. May we bow before you honor you, give you praise with our hearts, with our tongues, with our lives, that we may serve you, recognizing and thanking you for all the blessings you pour out upon us that we don't deserve, and then properly using those blessings to give you glory. In your name we pray, amen.